Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the History of Video Games. My name is Wes, and I am here, as always, with the wonderful Ben. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing good. How are you, Wes? I'm doing great myself. Been playing lots of games, been mostly avoiding the winter weather. Uh, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't been playing as many games, but still some. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing good. Nice, nice. Well, uh, I'll get us started today and talk about some of the things I've been playing recently since I'm bragging about how many games I played. Okay. <laughs> and really, it's just more of the same, if I'm being honest. But if there was a theme for my past week of gaming, it would be progress. <laughs> okay. Because both in Tarkov and Dark Souls 3, I've been making lots of progress and it's feeling good. You know, it feels weird. When you get to that point where you're like, uh, I don't know if I necessarily feel like playing this game right now, but I kind of like want to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you end up having fun anyway, but it's like you sometimes got to push yourself to like get over the hump of whatever difficult thing that you're doing. So in Tarkov, that had been a couple of quests that I had to do that basically unlocks the next tier of trader. Like you level up your relationship with them and then they sell you more stuff as you do more quests for them so i leveled up a few of them got my character way leveled up i'm at the point where i'm further in it than i've ever been and it feels weird because now i'm just like making loads of money and running like crazy silenced guns and high tier armor and just like stuff i've never done before which is wild and you can still just die to a pistol shot in the face you know but that's the game so <laughs> okay but either way it's it's really cool so i'm glad i've been making it that far in tarkov still playing that people are speculating this is going to be a really long period without a wipe again because they're getting close to what their like list of features that they wanted to have in the game before they called it a 1.0 releases so people are thinking they might just wait until the next big map and then release might be like a year away or something well it's probably about time yeah it's been in development for a while but i gotta say it's a playable game, which as much as I love Star Citizen, it's um, debatable. No, I shouldn't say that. There's some gameplay loops there, but it's, this feels much more like fully uh, fleshed out right. than Star, Star Citizen. Star Citizen's like, <laughs> like a sandbox with no real goals. It's just like, I guess just fly around. <laughs> right, right. Which is getting better. I need to go back and visit yeah. that as well. So that's been good. But then I've also been doing Dark Souls. I am determined to get through Dark Souls 3. Maybe not the DLC, maybe just the base game. <laughs> um, before Elden Ring comes out. And so I had to make some concessions with some of the weird, like, rules that I apply to myself when I play the game. There's this feature in Dark Souls, which is part of the gameplay. There's no shame in using it, where you can use this item that makes you human and then summon an NPC ally for the boss fights. And sometimes there's two NPC allies that you can uh, summon and obviously it helps out a lot because like the boss's attention will basically be divided in half and half of its attacks will be going to the NPC instead of you. Uh, so for whatever reason, I decided that I was like, I don't want to use those because I want to beat the fight one-on-one, -on -one, which is an, a noble goal. But then I was looking up stuff <laughs> about the NPCs and I found out that sometimes you get special items because there's like um sometimes you'll meet an npc in the world and then they have like this 
mission to kill this boss or something. And then if you summon them into your boss fight and you kill that boss for them, they'll like give you stuff and it'll progress their storyline. So there's actually lots of reasons to summon the NPCs to help you fight. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm trying to get through this game anyway and experience it. And if I don't necessarily master every single boss fight, it's not a big deal. So I summoned some NPCs and in one play session beat like two bosses. So <laughs> I was feeling pretty All good right. about it. It was a little weird because the one boss I know is notoriously a hard boss and I just beat it first try. So I felt like I cheaped out a little, but I mean, it doesn't really matter. However, you're enjoying the game as long as you get to experience the content, uh, it's all good. So mm -hmm. I'm very excited. Got through a really cool boss who gave me an awesome weapon that works for the weird, like, intellectual flamethrowing guy with a great sword and a shield build that I'm going for. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm very excited. Gonna do that. Try to get through the rest of the game. Got about a month left before Elden Ring comes out. Uh, so we'll see how far I can get. <laughs> Okay, okay. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, it's been fun. Glad to hear it. But uh, what have you been up to recently? Well, I've got a couple things I wanted to talk about, but I'll try to save some for later. But uh, I kind of want to talk about Rocksmith, because I think I mentioned previously on the podcast that I had been struggling with a song. And in fact, uh, I was able to beat it after three weeks, but I had to tell you the lengths that I had to go through. Oh, man. Yeah, the song was Everlong, which is not a hard song. In fact, I would say I could have gotten a 100% score in probably two days, you know, mm -hmm. if it was like normal. But they have these corded slides in it, and the program just does not recognize it. Like, I literally <laughs> sat there and tried every speed of the slide, every different fretting. I mean, anything and everything I could think of, I tried. And sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't work. Oh, and man. Uh, sometimes, you know, I would get through a couple of them and then the last one didn't go or whatever. And it was just, it just felt like I could have sworn that I was doing the slides perfect and the same every time. And it would be like, eh, maybe not this time, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> just like, what am I supposed to do? So it just angered me to the point. And I, of course, wasn't satisfied with like a 99.9%, .9%, which I could have gotten <laughs> in like a couple hours. I had to get the 100. So ultimately, I did a bunch of Googling. I downloaded a bunch of modding programs, and I tried to mod out the slides. I was still going to play them myself, but it would be like it always counted. You know, right, like give you 100% no matter what on that slide or something. Right, pretty much. But I would still, like, if I felt like I didn't do the slide well enough, I would restart to keep it honest but at least it would be like reasonable you know right and i didn't remove all the slides either there's there's three in particular that were terrible and i i went so far man i went on the forums i watched youtube videos of people playing everybody misses them so i'm just like okay whatever <laughs> so anyway downloaded all these modding programs so i could grab the song file and uh you actually have to use Editor on Fire, which is a program I used playing Clone Hero and Guitar Hero, which is interesting, but it's also <laughs> works for Rocksmith. But um, I used that and got rid of the slides, but when I re-imported the song, graphically, all the notes were glitched out. I don't know what I did. Obviously, I messed something up, but it was 
pretty bad. <laughs> and uh, it also broke every chord in the game. So like chords are like when you hit three strings at a time. But instead of it being like a single thing, it would be like hit each string one after the, uh, the next really fast, if that makes sense. Oh, weird. Which yeah. actually made them way more precise because you couldn't play a chord and like not hit one of the strings, which you could kind of get away with before. You really had to hit all three. So it made the song even harder, <laughs> but the slides were gone. And um, I struggled with this for like a week. I spent trying to play this version. And I couldn't get it. It was the glitchiness of it kept messing me up. And ultimately, I went onto the Rocksmith Discord and I was like, can anybody help me with this? And while people were talking to me, I was doing some runs as I was waiting for the responses to come in. And I got it that <laughs> night <laughs> as I was waiting. Ultimately, the guys on the Discord, which were super nice, by the way, were like, yeah, I've not seen this before. I think you're just going to have to like, delete all the notes and put them back which i would have done had i not gotten the 100 percent that night oh man because it was just bugging me so badly but i really feel like i'm getting to a point where the songs are hard and fast enough that the program is now having a hard time keeping up with me you know what i mean almost right i feel like i'm getting to the limits of the hardware if you will which i'm very very worried about <laughs> going forward <laughs> So we're just going to have to see as soon as I got 100% on that, I immediately 100%ed another song because I was like, well, this is easy now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, by far the longest and hardest 100% I've ever had to do on a song that's very easy, actually. <laughs> it's just the slides like there's so many slides in the song and I didn't even when I removed those three big ones, there's still a lot of other ones and they would always be like, you know, 50% hit them or not even though I was playing the exact same thing. So it was just a nightmare, man. Oof. Yeah, that sounds rough. I'm glad you found a way to work around it, and hopefully that workaround keeps working for future songs. Yeah, we'll have to see. Like, I kind of want to actually learn how to do it correctly. Because uh, right. there's some other songs, like there's one I got from um, the forums, like a custom one, and there's literally just like two or three wrong notes in it. I'm like, man... I wish I could just go in and fix those, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I might give it a shot, but if they're going to be re-importing with all these glitchiness things, it might not be worth it. So I don't know. We'll have to see. But um, yeah, it was a, definitely a couple of hours of foraying into a bunch of programs that are way too complicated for me. <laughs> <laughs> and trying to get this song to actually hit the right notes, because I was hitting them. <laughs> yeah. And now you never want to hear Everlong again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like Everlong uh, good enough. That's good. It's Maybe a good not song. those parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, the nice. next one I'm going to do is probably going to be Pour Some Sugar On Me. Who's that by Def Leppard? I don't know. Uh, it's like a classic rock song. Yeah. Some old band. It might be Def Leppard. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, that's the next one. So we'll see how, that, how long that one takes me. But it's not going to take me three weeks, I guarantee you that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I guess then, should we uh, move on into our special topic for the day? Oh yeah, we got a very fun one today. Oh yeah. We're talking about the Superman game that releases on the Atari 2600, which is the first ever superhero video game. Can you believe it? It took so long, I feel like, to get one. Yeah, you think that'd be a, a natural 
thing unless people were very afraid of the licensing. But I mean, given the fact of all the Star Wars games that are out there, I'm surprised yeah. no one ripped off like uh, Superman before. <laughs> right. But um, a big part of why the Superman video game was made was most likely, most assuredly, the Superman movie, which came out in 1978, really late into the year. I think it came out in December. And so because that probably inspired this video game, I thought it'd be fun for Wes and I to get together and watch the 1978 Superman movie, which I think is called Superman the Movie. <laughs> I thought it'd be fun for us to watch it together, and then we can talk to you all, all of you guys what our thoughts were. We are going to be spoiling this movie, so yeah. just a heads up. I Stat- mean, it's very old. <laughs> Statute but. of Limitations is, uh, <laughs> I think, when we're like almost 40 or 50 years out, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, um... I'll kind of walk through some of the plot points here, Wes, and you can correct me if I mess anything up. Definitely. But um, the beginning of the movie is really about Krypton, and it kind of flies into its own sun and gets destroyed. Somehow they don't see that coming, but Superman's dad sees it coming, and he sends Superman as a baby to Earth. That whole section of the movie I thought was great. I, I really like that really part good. of the backstory. Yeah, and even though I don't watch a lot of old movies, don't know a lot of old actors, I know... Mm-hmm. Marlon Brando from Godfather and Marlon Brando plays Superman's father. So it was well acted and like they had weird, bright, reflective suits on and crystals were everywhere. It was a great like 70s view of what they thought like an alien culture would be. It was real good. Yeah. So I like that part. And then you see Superman in Kansas for probably 10 or 15 minutes. I don't know. (laughs) And pretty much his entire kansas storyline is just him growing up and then watching his dad get a heart attack and die and that's it yep. yeah <laughs> there's nothing else to kansas and then he goes to antarctica to make the fortress of solitude where he spends 12 years learning galaxy information from his dead parents yep and that is never touched again <laughs> like we don't know <laughs> why i like it to me i don't know why that scene's even in there i think they were just like well he's a teenager and we need to age him a couple more years so i guess he goes to antarctica <laughs> question mark <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i guess it explains like how he's so smart because when he's superman he's really smart his alter ego not so much but yeah it is it is a little <laughs> they just like text pops up on the screen basically and it's like 12 years later and you're like, okay, right. <laughs> he's just Superman now. He's no longer a teenager. <laughs> I think that's a very strange part. But even more strange than that is after spending 12 years in Antarctica by himself, he becomes a journalist at the Daily Planet in Metropolis. And his reasons for this are never explained. <laughs> at least I didn't see any. No, I don't think it was. <laughs> so he goes there. This is when the actual movie starts now. This is like a half an hour, <laughs> I think. And uh, the whole like second third of the movie is him just trying to get it on with Lois Lane and revealing all of his secrets and his identity pretty much in the meantime, almost. Yeah. Well, and literally, yeah. So he, the editor of the Daily Planet's like, hey, whoever gets an interview with Superman will like get a big promotion or whatever, get all the good jobs, all the good stories. And so Superman thinks, oh, well, I'll give the story to Lois Lane, which is like implied. It doesn't say that outright, but then he like, just tells her literally everything about him and you know (laughs) as a superhero you think he'd be like maybe i shouldn't let people know every (laughs) single detail (laughs) right and uh i I don't understand this at all he doesn't show people that he's superman at the beginning 
But then as soon as the first thing goes wrong, he's already in costume and he just rips his shirt off and goes. And I was like, what? And I feel like there, there's a whole like, oh, I shouldn't show people that I'm Superman or whatever. That was just completely glossed over. <laughs> he was like, somebody's in trouble. So I'm, I'm going to show everybody. I'm going to save this cat from a tree now. Why not? <laughs> you know what I mean? I could sort of see that. I think in the time period and based on the comics, it makes sense. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. They, well, they, they hyped it up like, uh, you know, his dad's like, you know, don't show anybody your powers and all this stuff. And then uh, he finally does. And it's not like the army ever gets involved with him or anything like that, you know? True. As yeah. a capture. Maybe that's in Superman, too. I don't know. We'll have to see. But in the meantime, while he's getting it on with Lois Lane, Lex Luthor is planning his big master plan. And can I just say Lex Luthor, I really dig how funny he is. He's very funny. But not very evil. I mean, he's kind of as threatening as like Dr. Evil is in Austin Powers. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) And his big master plan is he's going to nuke all of California so that the San Andreas fault line collapses it into the sea so that all the real estate he bought in uh, Nevada or whatever becomes the new oceanfront property. And he's going to make millions. So basically, he's going to throw a nuclear bomb into California to make money. Yeah. Which is pretty evil, to be fair. But the way it's presented is just hilarious. He's like, real estate, that's my plan. (laughs) Right. And also, in order to, like, change the bomb's trajectory, he, like, dresses up as a doctor and has this whole doctor scheme, and he dresses up as, like, a lumberjack or something. Um, But he doesn't, like, kill a bunch of army dudes. You know what I mean? That would be, like, evil. He's like, let me do some Scooby-Doo disguises and attract these guys' attention over here. So, uh... He's pretty funny, I thought. Yeah. But then something I'll never understand is that right before the missiles go off, which, first of all, you know, we don't know where Metropolis is, how close it is to these missiles. And I also don't think that Superman has any idea this is happening. But anyway, um, Lex Luthor decides, you know what? Let me get Superman down into my lair. I'll talk to him here. I'll reveal my whole master plan to him. And then I'll, you know, chain him up with some kryptonite. Even though I, I don't think he knew anything about these missiles or who Lex Luthor was or anything about this plan. Right. Superman was just like, <laughs> you know, trying to get it on with uh, Lois Lane and I think would have just let these missiles hit. <laughs> you know, how is he going to know in 1970 with the communications? It's not like instant Internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Although there is one like it's a flimsy line, but Lex Luthor does have a line where he explains it. Right before he decides to get the kryptonite and invite Superman over, he goes, this is perfect. When he reads about Superman in the paper and he says, what would be the greatest heist without the greatest challenge? So that's his whole thing. Oh, okay. He wants to test himself. And it's like, I kind of get it. I mean, it makes sense for the movie, but it is silly and really <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he does chain Superman up with some kryptonite, but one of his lackeys turns on him. The lackey saves Superman. Superman prevents the missile from hitting New Jersey, but the other one does hit California, and it starts to fall into the sea, but Superman flies into the mantle of the Earth's core and pushes California back. <laughs> Which, um, am I uh, getting the, this event's correct, Wes? I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he puts the part of the San Andreas Fault that caves in, he goes into the magma and lifts it back up. <laughs> and it just kind of like right. glues California back together. Which was fun to watch i'll say <laughs> and then while california is falling to the sea you know bad things are happening like you know cars are going off the road 
and all this stuff. And then after Superman fixes the mantle, he goes and he like saves a bus from San Francisco. He saves a train out in the desert. He saves the Hoover Dam water from collapsing on a place. Mm-hmm. How does he know any of these things are happening at these locations? <laughs> They're not close to one another. And he just goes straight there and saves them. <laughs> but then he can't save Lois Lane, who got into like a car crash. She dies. And so he's like, oh, well, I can't let this happen. I'm really angry. So I'm going to fly around the Earth so fast that it reverses the rotation of the Earth, which turns back time so that I can save her, which he does. But the thing I don't understand is if he can turn back time, like he, he only turns it back far enough so that he saves Lois Lane, but not far enough back that he prevents a nuclear missile from hitting California. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> I do like there's one part right before he decides to turn back time where he has a memory of yeah. the advice that both of his father figures gave him because his actual father told him, do not interfere in human history. And his foster father said, you are put here for a reason. So I do like that. Although his inner struggle is not explored, he just hears them both say it and then he goes <laughs> right. backwards around the earth. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if you wanted to make an excuse for it. It's probably that he didn't want to interfere, interfere that much. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. But, uh, then he pretty much goes and grabs Lex Luthor and throws him in jail and that's the end of the movie. So yeah, honestly, what did you think about it overall? I thought it was funny. And honestly, I thought the performances were pretty great all around. I love the, the guy who plays Superman. Yeah. Christopher Reeve. Yeah. Everybody else was great. I loved uh, Lex Luthor. I don't think he's at all similar to the Lex Luthor in the comics, if, at least from what I know, but he was funny. He was more like the Penguin. Yeah, kind of like a, a New York like mobster yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, which was real interesting. It, it was good overall. It's wacky. Of course, there's going to be weird stuff that doesn't make sense, but I can see why it's such a classic movie that people love. <laughs> And I believe uh, it's the first ever big budget superhero movie ever made. So there's a lot of firsts going on right around this time with Superman. Yeah. So I can definitely see how there'd be a lot of hype around it and how somebody would be like, hey, let's get Atari to make a game out of this. Right. And I forgot this happened, but Atari is partially owned by Warner Brothers Studios right now. So there's a tie-in. So they own both. There you go. (laughs) That makes sense. So. But I do want to talk about the game. I want to have time to do it. So let's head over into the games. Welcome back. Let's hop into it with a couple of handhelds to start the day. We're going to start off here with the Tuxedo Sam series of handhelds, which included the games Doki Doki Grenade, Secret Sam, Sunday Road, and Arrow Star? I don't know. Um, It was a series of handhelds from the Hello Kitty franchise, which was apparently around in 1979. Who knew? We don't have any real uh, 
month dates for these and no videos either of them just some images so wanted to leave them a mention but uh they were doing stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah toy companies are starting to realize that this is going to be a, a big deal <laughs> mm -hmm. oh that was by uh sanrio and tommy by the way right yes and uh next the next few uh handheld games that we have are by a company called mego and this is their mini vid series, which were games called Break Free, Sea Battle, Space War, and Dodge City Gunfight, which is a fantastic title. Have to know what's going on there. Uh, but these <laughs> were all small VFD display, which is kind of a calculator type display uh, games that had that were also backlit a bit, and it gave them a very modern feel. There was only one video we were able to find which was break free which was just a breakout game so it seemed okay but couldn't find a bunch of videos on them so we couldn't review them but then that actually takes us right to our arcade section of the timeline and also the first game that i got to review today daisan wakusei meteor by sun electronics uh who will later be known as sunsoft so it might be listed under that name as well and as with all the games we're going through today, this came out in September of 79. Uh, since I'm going to have trouble saying that name twice, the English translation is Meteor of the Third Planet or something along those lines. The grammar might be a bit different, but basically it's meteors around Earth and you can already kind of tell this is going to be a Space Invaders type game. It also looks like it only had a cocktail cabinet release. At least that's all we could see flyers for. And we weren't able to find any original video of the cabinet, unfortunately. So all this information is going to be coming from emulated versions of it. But based on the flyers we found and the emulated versions, we had a pretty good idea of what was going on. The cocktail cabinet itself, though, is kind of interesting. It had a screen in the center and it was designed for two players, not at the same time, but where you could stand on opposite sides of the table and you would take turns playing and the screen would actually flip so that the other player could play from their perspective as well. So pretty neat, but just simple cocktail cabinet table. Uh, not anything really going on with that. Getting into the gameplay though, it's based off of your typical Space Invaders game. It has that same style, but it has some really nice twists to it that I wasn't expecting. Uh, the first big thing is that the screen is covered in a maze of asteroids that can block your shots and also your movement. And the aliens that are, or the invaders that are coming down from the top of the screen also travel through the maze to get to their objective, which is a big planet Earth in the center of the screen. So they do the sort of left to right movement that we have seen before, but then they'll start to snake through the maze. And if you die, or if one of the aliens reaches Earth in the center, you lose, basically. But the other cool thing that they added, which has to do with your ship, is that you can get hit three times before you die, or on the third hit, you die. And each hit that you take damages your ship in a slightly different way. So the first time you get hit when you're at full health, your engines get damaged, so you actually travel slower across the screen. And then the second time you get hit, uh, your phasers get busted, so you actually can't shoot. So you're basically just limping around. And to counteract this, you have the option of repairing by entering a base that's on the bottom left of the screen. And you can repair it anytime during the game. So it's really 
just a matter of like how much risk you want to take because you could get really risky with it since you can take two hits but then you have to waste all that time going back to repair your ship to be able to get back out there in the action um but it's a really interesting mechanic uh, but overall that's kind of it you're shooting at aliens coming down from the top of the screen they get faster as there are less of them and as they get further down the screen and you can take multiple hits and heal but other than that it's got the same space invader style aesthetic um Another big feature is that you can, instead of only shooting up and the aliens only shooting down, since they're traveling in this maze and going along the sides of the screen, and you can also move up towards the top of the screen, both you and the aliens can shoot in four directions, which is really interesting for this type of game. So let me get into my ratings now so I can describe this game a little bit better. The graphics, I gave it a 3 out of 10 here. Overall, they're pretty good, but I wanted to start out with a couple negatives that made it uh, maybe not want to give this a higher rating. First, it looks like it's just a multicolored overlay and it isn't true color. It's hard to tell since we don't have the original cabinet footage, but it looks like a typical banded color overlay that we've seen before where it's like one strip of color, another strip of color, and another. The only thing that makes me question that is that when you get hit and your ship blows up, the whole screen turns red even all the colored elements. So maybe it actually turned red, but everything was still tinted the color of the overlay. Not too sure. Either way, it definitely looked like an overlay. Everything that's the way it's emulated, everything that passes through the different bands changes color, so it makes sense that it would be. But even with that, and the invaders having only one sprite, there's not a different, there's not a bunch of different types of invaders and they only have the classic Space Invaders two-frame animation, it still manages to look really good overall. The one invader sprite is really good. The ship in its three different damage states also looks really good. Not as blocky as I expected. Uh, actually has like wings and a tip of the ship where the laser comes out, which looks really cool. Everything moves pretty smoothly on the screen. Uh, the game starts slow at first but it, it can get really fast and even when it does get fast it moves pretty smoothly uh, probably because there's less aliens on screen but hey whatever it takes to get it to work and i also really liked the uh meteors even though they're pretty bland i mean they're just a tiny little meteor with a hole in it so they look like some kind of space rock it helps to fill out the screen a lot sometimes it looks a little cluttered but i think it does something that a lot of these space games don't do very well, where it fills the space with color. Because anytime these meteors are in a different color band, they're green, pink, yellow, teal, whatever. Um, and it just makes it so the whole screen has stuff going on, which I really like. And then the earth in the center of the screen is also fairly well detailed. It's this big earth where you can actually make out some of the continents and stuff, which is really nice. Um, so even though it's simplistic, I think it's really well executed and has a lot of visual interest. So that's why I decided to give it a 3 out of 10. It, it looks pretty dang good for being this kind of weird Space Invaders clone thing. For sounds though, unfortunately, there's no menacing like beep music like the original Space Invaders, which is one of the things I love about this genre. But it does have some pretty good sounds for everything else. There's this kind of sad sounding alien explosion noise where it just sounds like you like told them to get lost or something and they're like oh okay and it's <laughs> i don't know why but uh it it's silly and works 
There's also a beep when the aliens move around, which is pretty simple, not that great. My favorite noise though, which is carrying this, I ended up giving it a two out of 10 for sounds, largely because of this noise, is the phaser shot, which is this like weird, oscillating, bouncy, spacey laser noise. I'm sure we've heard things similar to it before, but it sounded fairly unique and I really liked it, especially because you're firing all the time. Uh, so I thought it was pretty good. For gameplay, I gave it a 3 out of 10. Honestly, I'm really tired of Space Invaders clones, but this is one that I really liked. Horizontal shooting and moving through this weird maze trying to track where the aliens are going next kept it a lot more interesting to me. Uh, it starts out very slow, but during the slow start, you get all this time to clear out all the meteor obstacles near you so you have more room to move around so you can shoot more aliens. Uh, I wish their bullets could hit meteors too. They kind of go straight through, so it makes it hard to dodge at the beginning of the game. I also really love the three hit mechanic and how the first two hits actually like aren't just HP lost. It's like damages different parts of your ship. The moving slowly and losing your capability of shooting are all really cool. It adds a whole new level of like risk reward because you know you can take a hit if you go way up close and you're shooting them really, really fast. But you might also not be able to get away because you get hit and then your thrusters suck. Um, so I really like that element of it. I like the fact that you can heal up, but it's basically losing uh, at the cost of time. And I also found out that each level, after you clear one level, it says War 1 complete, now starting War 2. Uh, each level has a different meteor maze layout and more aliens on it. So there's a nice sense of progression, almost like Pac-Man style, where you actually get different levels that have their own distinct feel, uh, even though they're pretty similar overall. Um, so yeah, it did a lot of things right. It uh, differentiated from the normal Space Invaders. For relevance, I gave it a 6 out of 10 here. I think Sun Electronics is going to grow to be a pretty big player in the Japanese and maybe even worldwide video game market, but I don't really know how well this game did considering we couldn't find much information on it. I think it's a really cool variation of Space Invaders that made some innovations, but I don't know how impactful it was in the history of video games. So then overall that left me with a 2.75 out of 10 Meteor of the Third Planet, because uh, I don't feel like trying to uh, butcher the Japanese name again, uh, is a surprising amount of fun for a Space Invaders clone in 1979. Uh, I love almost all of the gameplay changes that it made. It's simple, but I like how it looks, and I'm really hoping that this did well enough that it gets a uh, full-color sequel. Nice, man. Yeah, it was, I was surprised. I mean, Space Invaders clones, you know I like the weird games, but <laughs> I was worried about Space Invaders. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I don't know if you were able to, like, ever able to test this, but if you were tactical and removing some of the meteors, could you change the path that the invaders went through the maze? I tried to test that, but they seemed to like know where the maze was, even if I cleared out the meteors. Okay. Um, Cause it looks, they don't take the whole maze, right? No, I don't think they, they go through the entire thing. They go pretty far. I don't think they do the entire thing. They do actually 
it confused me because I thought, you know, Space Invaders, if they get to the bottom of the screen, you lose. But they actually go to the bottom of the screen, wrap back around to the left side of the screen, and then go into the center. Um, <laughs> so they're all over the place. Taking the long way. Yeah, yeah, they really do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's very interesting. Okay. But I think they do kind of like follow the maze, whether the rocks are there or not. Interesting. All right, cool. Well, let's, let's move on to some uh, clones here. We've got a head-on clone by IREM that came out in September. It's a unique version of head-on. It looks very similar, but with some different sprites. And one of the things I thought was interesting is it seems like if you clear out the track, round two or whatever, or whatever will have two cars that spawn that are trying to run into you instead of just the one. And if you can clear out that track, it looks like it'll have three cars. I don't think it goes more than three, nice. but I can imagine that being uh, pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And then we have Super Casino Video Blackjack by Elcon. We don't have much info on it. Sounds like it might be a decent version of Blackjack. You know, who knows? It's super, Wes. It's Super Casino Video Blackjack. That's a lot of words. <laughs> it must be good. <laughs> and then next up, we've got Marine Wars by Omori, which came out sometime in 79. This was a Galaxy Wars clone that had a sea theme. And I really like sea themes for like space games, you know, I don't know. I feel like just taking space invaders and putting a weird theme on it. I'm usually pretty down for that. Galaxy Wars was the like homing missile game that you played a while back west. So it's not space invaders exactly, but right. um, I was like debating maybe rating it, but it's literally just like a, a graphics change and there's nothing else new there. <laughs> and then we have... Marine Wars by Hoei, which we think is a clone of the Amori version, but we don't actually have a lot of info, so it's possible this came out first. Either way, they're both very similar games, uh, just one's a clone of the other. <laughs> All right, and that moves us on to the first one that I rated today, Wes, Space Invaders Part 2, oh, the sequel to Space Invaders. Holy cow. I know. Um, and if you're thinking, man, this is probably going to blow people's minds... It does, but for the wrong reason. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is sad. This is just a sad state of a game because Taito made Space Invaders. They, they invented that. They like started a cultural revolution with Space Invaders. And then when they go to follow it up a year later, they follow it up with a game that's arguably worse than the first one. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, a big reason to that is just that the gameplay is identical, but this one is in color. It's in true color graphics, I think. But it, since it's in color, you lose the hand-painted background that the original Space Invaders had. And I think if I had to choose between a hand-painted background and something in color, I'd rather it be a hand-painted background because <laughs> it looks cooler. Especially with the old Space Invaders cabinet, it was like almost like backlit. I mean, it was very really cool looking to look at. And this looks... This looks like a cheap knockoff, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And the gameplay is identical, but in between waves of Space Invaders, you have like a little cutscene of like um, a UFO dragging a Space Invader back to the top of the screen, which is uh, okay, I guess. And then there's also like an extra bonus. I'm not sure if this was an Easter egg that you had to discover or if it was actually advertised like on the cabinet art or something, but... I think if like the last invader you hit on the screen was like the one that started from the top of the row somehow, if you killed that one last, you got this like rainbow bonus and it was basically like a, just like a rainbow that kind of came up out of the screen 
just like a graphic effect and then you kept going <laughs> and that's it those are the only changes that they made to this game <laughs> um and said it was part two so this is uh this is pretty bad this, i mean i would rather play the one that you just rated than this <laughs> there's more interesting things going on so uh let me get into my ratings because there is literally nothing else to talk about for gameplay i gave this a two out of ten because there's no difference in gameplay at all <laughs> to, to a game that came out last year. And um, for this to be your sequel to like the biggest game that you've ever made is terrible. I mean, I can't even like nothing has changed at all. <laughs> so, yeah, I think two is generous at that. I'd rather play the older one. So. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and there's I mean. We've played clones that have made more interesting choices and changes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's made none, so. Yeah, I'd rather play those clones. For graphics, I give this a 2.25. I mentioned it's, it is in co- true color, but uh, I don't know. I think it, it's, it's got to be in true color because of the rainbow effect. But um, it does have that weird thing where... They have the striped overlay color bands. I think it's an aesthetic change. Like I think they did that on purpose for aesthetic reasons. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, similar to your game, I think, but I don't know. In any case, it's very basic and it looks very bland with just a black background with no stars. <laughs> so if this did use an overlay or was true color, doesn't matter. It still looks like it, it uses an overlay and, um, it's very rainbow colored, but that didn't make it any better. So, <laughs> I mean, the cutscene kind of thing is very short and it plays the sound effect of the bonus ship, which, as you know, Wes, is a very annoying sound effect. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, I didn't particularly enjoy that. And the rainbow bonus, if it was an Easter egg, I think that would have been cool. You know, just you playing this game and all of a sudden something new happens that you've never seen before could be really cool. I'm not sure if it was an Easter egg and it, it is just like just a color explosion on the screen and then you keep playing. So I don't know. I can't say it made the game look better necessarily. So I, I gave graphics a 2.25 out of 10. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's definitely worse than the original. And I, I uh, found my original scores. Was, so I originally gave it a 4.25 <laughs> with the cut with a hand painted background. Wow. Okay. So it really shows. Uh... Yeah. I'm, this is down quite a bit. <laughs> For sounds, the sounds are literally copy-pasted from the original, with the exception, I think, of the cutscene sound, which, or I'm sorry, not the cutscene sound, the, uh, the rainbow sound. There's a sound effect that plays during the rainbow. It's basically like the flying saucer bonus ship sound, but it's a little different. And, it, I mean, it adds nothing. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty much they just copy-pasted sounds from the first one. So, I don't know, I give it a 2.25. I still bumped it down a, a whole point from when we did this last year, because I need a little bit more now. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's been a year. We can't keep playing the same game every year, guys. Come on. I mean, it, it's fine. It, it sounds like Space Invaders.
And then for relevance, I give this a three and a half out of ten. Because what did this do? <laughs> I mean, there's already been clones that have been in True Color, so nothing. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if this sold well or not. I hope it didn't, but it's, it shouldn't <laughs> sell anything. Overall, I gave it a 2.25. I mean, I didn't go like super ham on it because it's a very competent Space Invaders game. But to be honest, this looks like a clone that some like knockoff company in Spain did, you know? <laughs> it shouldn't be from Taito. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So, and it feels like it should have came out last year, maybe a month after the first one. <laughs> not, uh, not a year later. No, no, no. What are we doing? Going backwards. Oof. So that's a big... We, we might see this coming back at the end of the year when we do our worst game of the year. <laughs> oh, man. That's um, saying something. But yeah, it sounds like... Uh, I mean, when you got expectations high, then it's that much harder to deliver if they're not making that many changes. It's very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, they made like no changes at all to the gameplay. I mean, even... um compare like super like breakout and super breakout super breakout had like three different variations that you could pick from you could at least play that game three times even though it was pretty much breakout <laughs> right i can't recommend you play this more than once no. <laughs> or not at all maybe just don't play it at all <laughs> stick to the first and whatever comes next yeah and something big is coming up next and that should have been what this game was you know what i mean oh yeah for sure Oh, uh, no. but it had to be said we had to take a look at it because we wanted to know what they were doing and we wanted to be like, hey, guys, what the hell? I know. <laughs> but let's move on to some some maybe better stuff. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, not this <laughs> first batch, but probably after that, we have a bunch of Space Invaders Part 2 licensed versions and clones. Uh, Space Invaders Part 2 by Taito Brazil, Color Combat by Combat Shoji, Moon Base by Nichibutsu which had its own unique ship sprite, which is nice. Lijak did a version of it, as well as SNK, which was called TT Space Invaders Part 2. Uh, so lots more versions out there, popular or not. They were definitely licensing a bunch because uh, I guess people must have been playing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then let's move on to our computer game section for a little bit. We have Pero by ESD which looks like a clone of Clowns ported to the Apple II. Sounds pretty interesting. Okay. Clowns is a fun game, but uh, we don't have too much information on this one. Mm -hmm. And then moving on from that, we've got King Tut's Tomb by Greg Hassett. This is a Apple II text-based RPG, and you know we, we love covering those, although we don't rate them highly. <laughs> <laughs> but they are big games. You know, they usually take a long time to develop and are... Uh, pretty interesting and i did consider rating this one but um ultimately didn't because even though it's i think the first ever text-based adventure to be set in an egyptian theme it goes back to a collect the treasures type of game mode so there's not story it's just find 13 treasures and bring them to the entrance of this uh tomb it is kind of cool that you walk into mummies and you, you have to use like a torch and matches as a big part of the game there's not really many puzzles uh i think the biggest puzzle is like there's a snake that will keep an enemy from attacking you but the snake can also like bite you <laughs> and kill you <laughs> interesting um so i think uh 
you don't even have to use the snake, but it, there's some like red herrings and stuff in here. Weirdly enough, I think the mummy can die by slipping on a banana peel, which is somehow in this tomb. So there's some <laughs> funny stuff. Greg Cassett is like 13 years old when he's writing this. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've played some of his other ones, and I didn't think this one really did a whole lot like in, innovative other than just being in a different setting. So I want to give him some props, but we're not going to rate this one. Yeah, maybe the next one. We'll see. Uh, Greg Cassett, I think he puts out quite a few of these. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but moving on, we have the Kilobod September issue. Just one that we wanted to mention in here, and that is the Blackjack Strategy Program, which was an interesting program that taught you the basics of Blackjack Strategy. Uh, not really a game, but teaches you how to play a game, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then moving on from that, we've got Fight Magazine from September of 1979. This uh, only had an article on connecting a chessboard to a computer, which I thought was pretty interesting. You had to like solder on sensors and like electric components to this uh, chessboard so that when you put a piece down on the chessboard, the computer would know what you did. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> you still had to move the computer pieces, but right. I thought it was kind of cool. You could actually play against a chess computer on a real chessboard and not have to buy a plug and play so it's interesting nice and then moving on we have the second game that i got to rate today which is super dungeon by programma international lots of super things today lots of super things yeah (laughs) superman coming up and i mean if you put super in front of a dungeon you know i'm going to be interested uh so this was published by program international but it was written by rodney nelson uh, Rodney Nelson will go on to create another CRPG in 1981 that we'll probably take a look at. Um, but also he'll be doing a couple other things in the future. So a name that we might want to keep an eye on, even though he's not a huge name in the business. And this is, as with most program at international games, an Apple II game. Uh, so this is a pretty classic style CRPG, heavily based on Lord of the Rings and D&D. Um, There's a ring of power that you can find in it and a bunch of stuff. But it goes back to the version we've seen before where there's not an item that you need to find at the end of the dungeon. It's more it's an infinite dungeon and you retire whenever you can and however much gold you make is your high score. Um, So it's got that basic gameplay loop to it. But some of the unique and interesting things that it does is that you have a very D&D start to the game. Uh, your stats are randomly rolled by the computer where it determines your strength and your life points, I believe. And then you can also pick from five different classes, uh, warrior, wizard, elf, or dwarf, or hobbit, which all have different interactions with the doors on the map, uh, which is really interesting. And also the wizard can only use certain weapons there's certain enemies that can only be attacked by magically enchanted things, so the other classes need to find a magic weapon to be able to attack them and some unique interactions like that. Uh, there's no real inventory system, but after you pick your class, you also get to buy a bunch of items, which you're going to be able to use. Different types of weapons, horses, which give you speed, and uh, food, which gives you extra life points and various things like that. So there's some interesting class building stuff there, but it's not like you can switch weapons in your inventory. The way that weapons work in this is every time you find a weapon, it just ups your strength stat. So 
your guys like kind of carrying 500 weapons by the end of the game, but <laughs> maybe you smelt them all into one. I'm not sure. Uh, the basic stats for the game are you have a constitution stat, which represents your hit points, a strength stat, which represents your attack, uh, but then you also have another thing called life points, which drain every time you take a step, kind of similar to. It's another old CRPG. I think it was Dungeon Campaign, but I could be wrong. Uh, where every time you move, you drain life points. So you kind of have to calculate your way to the exit on each floor, or else you'll die before you make it there. But life points don't get drained in battle. That comes from your constitution stat. Uh, and then the last stat that you have is armor class, which ranges 0 through 10. And it's basically a damage mitigation stat, similar to how it would work in actual D&D. Combat in this is turn-based. Uh, the faster party attacks first, but weirdly enough, the only way to increase your speed in the game is by buying a horse at the beginning of the game. And you are in a dungeon, so you're riding a horse through the dungeon, which uh, multiple bloggers pointed out is a little bit weird, <laughs> but whatever works. Um, and the maze itself that you're playing through, it's a randomly generated maze for each level of the dungeon. And on each maze, there will be three different types of doors dotted throughout the dungeon. You'll spawn at one point and you'll see your exit on the left side of the screen. You have to make your way by going through these doors to get there. There's magenta doors, which are unlocked and any character can walk through them freely. Then there's blue doors, which are secret doors, which elf and wizard, I believe, can walk through without any penalty. Um, but the other classes have a 50% chance of losing life points or hit points as they go through there. And then there's white doors, which are bolted doors, which are the opposite. I think it's Dwarf and Hobbit can go through those for free, but then all the other classes have to do a 50% chance of losing their constitution to get through. Uh, so some interesting mechanics where it depends on what class you pick, how easily you'll be able to get through certain pathways, and what determines which way you want to go. Each room that you enter after you go through a door has a bunch of different stuff that could possibly be in there. Treasure, various items like swords and armor. Coffins are a big thing for some reason, and the coffins have a bunch of different things that can happen when you open them. And then, of course, lots of different monsters to fight, which I believe are all directly from D&D. &D. Uh, there's tons of stuff in there. You get experience from these monster fights based on how strong they are, and then after you get to the next floor, you can spend it on constitution points or life points, depending on what you need the most or split them up. Uh, so we've definitely seen this general formula before, but the rooms that you go into that are like separate encounters is kind of a new thing. Uh, some random things can happen when you're outside of the rooms too, like tremors, which cause you to take constitution damage. There's a wand you can find that can kill an enemy in one hit, but you can only use it once. You can get randomly teleported all over the place. Uh, but most of the action happens inside these rooms. So moving into my ratings now. For graphics, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. It actually does display the whole maze on the screen, but this kind of seems like Dungeon Campaign, like it was inspired by uh, Dragon Maze, right? Is that what it was called? Uh, on the Apple II, where it's just a simple maze game, just like the yeah. layout of the random mazes. Mm -hmm. But so there's some nice colors in it because it's Apple II, but it's still just a blocky maze. The rooms uh, that you enter are nice. It actually like 
zooms in to do a view of the room, but you're still just a big brown square. Uh, the only graphics okay. that can show up in the room are like a sword on the ground or like an iron chest plate on the ground, which look okay. They're kind of gigantic so that they can have enough detail to look all right. But there are no graphics for any of the monsters. It'll just be like a dragon's in here. And you're like, I only see a sword on the ground. What do you mean? So <laughs> <laughs> that thing's a little lame. And the only other thing that's really displayed when you go into these rooms is the coffins. If you find any coffins, but they're just horizontal lines. They're different colors, which is kind of nice, but they don't look anything like coffins, really. <laughs> uh, so it looks okay. I mean, I'm happy that it zooms in from the maze view to give you this, like, in each room view. It's pretty cool, but there's not a lot of detail. It leaves a lot to the imagination. For sounds, uh, there actually are sounds in this game. We're on the Apple II, after all, so I gave it a 1 out of 10. It's unfortunately just beeps for movement and slightly different beeps for going through doors and combat so nothing too exciting there's no like victory song for winning a fight or anything like that for gameplay i gave it a two out of ten the gameplay has some great stuff going for it but it's all counterbalanced by a lot of unfun gameplay uh so <laughs> i couldn't rate it too highly i really love the different classes that you can pick at the beginning of the game how they all interact with the map differently there's some class restrictions on what weapons you can use so the fact that like it governs what things you can actually play with is really cool and gives a little bit of incentive for uh multiple playthroughs but after you pick this cool character and you do all that and you decide what gear you want to buy and whether you get a horse you never use gold again and i feel like that's just a huge disappointment that gold is just for a score and you can't ever go shopping again like find a merchant on the fifth floor and buy a cool sword or something uh, so that i thought sucked a little bit i think the mechanic of life points draining as you move is interesting i'm honestly not for or against it it's fine but I don't really think it's super necessary. Uh, I like that it mixes things up a little bit from other CRPGs, but and uh, like dungeon crawler type games. But I, that's kind of the most I can say about it. And the combat is unfortunately also very disappointing. Uh, you can only do one attack. You don't have spells. You don't have bows. There's theming. Like every time you attack, you're supposed to just kind of know that the wizard is casting spells, but you don't ever get to pick anything it's just strength against their strength number and you just keep hitting enter until one of you dies and that's kind of it so <laughs> that's kind of disappointing i don't really like when it's just a pile of stats fighting a pile of stats with no like more interaction there uh, there are some interesting things like random encounters where you can get teleported or coffins can be negative or positive sometimes they'll boost your stats when you open them sometimes they'll nerf your stats i like that uh, but overall, the gameplay loop just feels like another simple stat grind. You're just killing things to get more gold, to get more stats, to get more gold to leave whenever you want because there's no goal. And then <laughs> say, okay, I have 10,000 gold. I guess that's cool. I mean, of course, oh, yeah. at the time, you'd be able to compare it to all your friends and be like, hey, I made it to level 10 and did all this. But it's just not a ton of motivation for me. 
So there's some cool elements there, but I just don't think it has like enough driving force behind it. For relevance, I gave it a 5 out of 10 here, uh, mainly just because Rodney Nelson, he's not going to be in any big games, but he stays in the industry for a while. Uh, I think one of the bloggers mentioned that he's going to be like way in the 90s, I guess, working on some of the Carmen San Diego games. Okay. <laughs> uh, so at least, you know, a game made by somebody who's going to be in the industry for a while. Um, but other than that, I don't think this really changed the CRPG formula that much. It has some cool mechanics, and I don't think we've seen all of them combined before, but I think we've definitely seen all of these individual mechanics before, uh, with the possible exception of classes interacting with like objects differently based on what class you have. Uh, so overall, that just left me with a 1.5 out of 10, unfortunately. Uh, Super Dungeon has some stuff going for it, but in the end, it doesn't end up being all that super. Uh, it's just a decent <laughs> CRPG worth taking a look at maybe, but not the best of the ones that we've covered so far. Okay, okay. Well, you never know with a name like Super Dungeon. You gotta check them no. out. You know, we had to try. <laughs> well, okay then. Hopefully the next one will be a little bit better. We'll see. Um, moving along, along, we got only a couple more mentions before we hit Superman. I want to quickly mention the Pet Paper Magazine, the Rainbow Newsletter, which was an Apple II magazine, and the Source Newsletter, which was an Exidy Sorcerer magazine. These three magazines came out sometime this year or had some issues this year. They were all by the company Eresco, which I think also has a, um, a magazine for the Cosmac. And there were some like games in these magazines, but they were all like Mastermind and Hangman and this kind of stuff. Um, so there wasn't really anything to talk about for them, but I wanted to mention them. There were some advertised games in here that did sound cooler, but I couldn't find any real evidence of them coming out outside of these advertisements. So that included stuff like Chase, Space Fight, Hostage, Star Trek 2001, Air Sea War, Warehouse, and Bazaar, which were self-advertised games all made apparently by Aresco, but I, again, I, I'm not sure about them. But they were all advertised in the Pet Paper magazine, which is probably the biggest of these three. And then we have a few more that were advertised in the Pet Paper magazine. Uh, Chessboard by Sawyer, Mill Game by Distinctive Interiors, and Pet Trek 3 by Dr. Daly. Uh, some kind of interesting stuff there, but again, they were only advertised, so we didn't have too much information on them. Yep, and that's going to move us into the last one for today. The last one I rated, of course, it is Superman for the oh, yeah. Atari 2600. And... um. I feel like it's been a while since we've seen the Atari 2600. I don't know. Definitely. I can't even remember the last one we did, but it probably wasn't that good. So I'm interested to see. I mean, nowadays the 2600 is getting like a little outdated compared to the Astrocade and some of the other ones that we've uh, covered, the other home consoles. Mm -hmm. So um, I was very excited to check Superman out because it's, I think, widely regarded as one of the better ones. Although there's some issues with it um, that I will definitely talk about but it's um it's a pretty interesting game so i'll do my best to describe it part of the amazing part about this game is that it has like screen wrap or when you wrap the screen it changes the background to make you feel like you're in a different room or different area in the world um which is the first time we've ever really seen anything like that so whenever you go to the edge of the screen 
the screen refreshes and there's a new background with like a different color sky and different buildings in the background. And in fact, in this game, there's actually 21 different versions of this background to loop around and get kind of like a, as if you're flying through the city kind of feel is what they're going for. Oh, nice. Um, and if you go left or right, I think you can go through all of them. But then there's also, since you're Superman, you can fly. So you can actually go up off the screen and it kind of like skips you ahead like four places or five places or something like that. It's kind of weird how it works. But essentially, you can get across the city faster if you go up through it. Um, it makes it very confusing to, to navigate. But <laughs> Especially because you go up like you're going up in the sky and then you come like in from the bottom like from the street and you're like what <laughs> but uh it works i guess it's not like you go up and it's like level two like skyscraper you know high up in the sky it's more like you could you somehow go to a different part of the city is interesting and there's also a subway that can pretty much shortcut you across the city as well interesting but all these things combined make the city very hard <laughs> to navigate not that you really need to know exactly where you are you can just Go left or right and pretty much get everywhere you need to go. So this game has a screen wrap mechanic and it's it's the first time we've ever seen that, but it's hard to like say that it's the game that really like created this because Superman was actually built off of the prototype code for a future game called Adventure for the Atari 2600 that hasn't released yet. And Adventure is the game that really did this. <laughs> and it's widely regarded as, like, I think one of the, the most iconic games for the whole system. So they were making Adventure, and I think, I think I read that the guy making Adventure was on vacation or something, and the guy that would eventually make Superman went in there and was like, this looks cool, but what if we made a Superman? <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, they wanted to do something different. And they you know, use the base of that code to make Superman and Superman actually came out first. It's weird because I want to say like, this is the first game to ever do this, but it stole it from a game that's not out yet. <laughs> it's confusing. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, it is the first time that anybody's ever seen a game like this. And obviously this is going to be huge going forward. I mean, other than the whole screen background moving as you move, as in like a Mario game would do, this is like the next best thing where at least you can like you can have different screens that represent different areas in a city, in a world, different worlds, and you're actually moving to a different location, which in most games everything's on the same screen and nothing moves, you know what I mean? So it really builds to the atmosphere that you're in a big world, uh some sort of open world, although in this case it's 21 backgrounds pretty much <laughs> that you circle through. But uh, there is a rhyme and reason, and you can navigate through them, so it's, it's kind of cool. So as far as what you do in the game, you're Superman. You actually start out in Superman, and I think it's part of a cutscene, or maybe you just have to do this, or I did it um, by myself. I could, I'm not sure, but basically you, you become Clark Kent by flying into a phone booth, and your sprite changes from a Superman-looking sprite to a Clark Kent-looking sprite, and then... You walk across the screen and there's a bridge in this new screen, the new section of the city, and you see what's apparently supposed to be Lex Luthor uh, destroying this bridge and, and running away. And so you have to get back to the phone booth, change back into Superman, 
your job is to both repair the bridge and collect all the bad guys and throw them in jail. <laughs> Which is a pretty cool scenario, I think. Yeah. They really thought out what you're supposed to be doing here. And pretty much, like I mentioned, there's 21 screens in this city. And you've got, I think, five bad guys walking around them. And you just have to stand on top of a bad guy and then you start to carry them. And the, pretty much it's just the two sprites moving, moving together. Um, and you just carry them to the jail, which is on one of the one of the screens. And as soon as you throw them, you know, you walk in front of the jail door, they go away and, and you successfully put one behind bars. <laughs> um, while you're doing this, there are, I think, three kryptonite satellites, which are pretty much just asterisks, <laughs> but that's what they call them. That if you touch them, you'll lose your flying ability and your ability to pick stuff up. And the only way to get those abilities back are to find Lois Lane, which is another sprite in this world that's also moving around. And uh, you just like walk on top of her and now you're good again. <laughs> so <laughs> it totally works. Interestingly enough, you can actually pick up Lois Lane and you can't put her in jail, but you can put her in... <laughs> The Daily Planet, which is another marked building uh, that you can you can go inside of that as well, although it's just like an empty background. It's, it's nothing. But if you put her in there, she won't leave. So you can always kind of go back to that location uh, and, and know where she's at instead of having to go and find her, you know, anywhere in the world whenever you take damage. Mm. But there's also one more mechanic, and that's that there's a helicopter that... I guess it's a neutral helicopter. It'll just pick up anything that it finds. That could be you, or sorry, not you. That could be like bridge pieces that you have to go and you have to find bridge pieces to repair the bridge, right? But when you grab a bridge piece and put it back to the bridge, you just have to put it on the ground and wait until you get all three of the pieces before the bridge comes together. So while you're waiting to get the other pieces, a helicopter can come and just take one of the pieces that you put there and move it somewhere else. But it can also grab one of the kryptonite satellites that are attacking you and just kind of, you know, keep that away from you too. It just kind of grabs things, this helicopter. But funnily enough, if the helicopter goes in front of the daily planet, Lois Lane comes out because she's like, oh, a helicopter, and she'll leave, and you have to find her again. <laughs> um, a lot of really cool mechanics... There is Lex Luthor, apparently. You see him at the beginning, you know, blowing up the bridge. I don't know if you grab him and put him in jail or not, but he does, I mean, he looks the worst out of any of these, I think. Superman looks, the sprite form looks great. All the characters, weirdly enough, have, like, pink skin. They're, like, pink color. But I, I think it's done really well. You can definitely tell Superman has his blue and red suit on. And when you're Clark Kent, it's a different sprite that looks like a normal dude with a hat. Lois Lane is definitely a woman sprite. And the bad guys all have these nice mobster hats and like machine guns with them, which is great. They don't shoot or anything. But um, there's a lot going on with the visuals. And I want to say part of the reason for that, I read that this is one of the first games Atari made that had a 4,000 kilobyte ROM cartridge. Usually, oh, they okay. only use, usually they only use two kilobyte cartridges so this is a double in size they always were capable of doing that but they didn't do it because that costed more and they, they didn't want to make games that cost them a lot of money for no reason but it has to do i think with adventure the game coming out later that kind of required that 
that they had the big one and they got approval for that. And so when Superman was being made, they had to start with that. And uh, both of those games go on to do very well. And so Atari will start to make the four kilobyte version of their cartridges way more common. So hopefully we'll get a lot more interesting games. But it was literally just to save money, and this definitely costed them more money, but it was so worth it because the graphics are just so good, and what they were able to do with the graphics was was awesome. So, with all that being said, that's a basic overview. Let me get into my ratings. Let's start with the graphics. I gave it a 2.75 out of 10, and for all the amazing things I've said about the graphics, and there are so many amazing things from all the different colored backgrounds, and every single one of these 21 screens looks unique with different buildings in the background, and like all the sprites for all the bad guys and Superman, it all looks great. But there's a problem, and that's that if there's more than one sprite on screen at a time, the screen will flicker. Oh. And if there's like three or four sprites on the screen at the time, it flickers a lot. <laughs> um, and the flickering, it's like a strobe going to give me a seizure effect. And it, it takes away from the game so much. It just, it reminds you that the game's not smooth, that it's like not a more recent game, because otherwise you'd think it probably would be. But the flickering just does so much to distract me from the game. It honestly makes it hard to see people at times and to know what's going on at a glance because everything's just flickering all over the place. So, as I mentioned, I think there's like five bad guys. There's Lex Luthor, Lois Lane, Superman, a helicopter, and three kryptonite bombs. So you can have situations where a lot of things are on the screen and it's just, it can be unbearable at times. So... I mean, 2.75, I think, is high enough to say how good it looks, but the flickering really holds us back, you know, I would say a full point, almost, from what it could have been, or would have been, had that not been the case. As I mentioned, there's a couple other very small details, like a phone booth, which is just a little sprite of a phone booth and a bridge, and um, you have little doorways for the subway and a little planet for... Um, the daily planet to show where that is so i mean the world is so cool but if it hurts my eyes to look at it <laughs> yeah you know yeah. i can't give him higher than that let's go to the other kind of lower score which is sound the sounds i didn't think were that good i mean you have pretty much like a flying sound which sounds like an air airplane flying <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and then you've got these high beeps which represent you know, grabbing somebody, or um, there's also, I, I forgot to mention, there's a mechanic where you can, it's this like x-ray vision, you like hit a button, and you see what the next screen would be if you went, like if you screen wrapped, you can kind of see one screen over, it's basically just going to the other screen, but Superman's not there because he's still in the old one, and then you unhit the button and, and you're back, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, you can like, you can like look forward, I don't really know why it would be useful, but that also makes a noise. They kind of remind me of like high-pitched pinball sounds. They're not particularly good, but <laughs> they serve their purpose. Uh, the bad guys don't shoot you. Nothing in this game can kill you. So the main purpose of this game is just a time trial. There's a time, and just, just to get the lowest time as you, as you can. So they don't shoot guns or anything, but... um. It's, it's all right. It's, it's pretty much, it's pretty basic for the sound. So just two out of 10 there. 
And then for gameplay, I decided to give it a 3.25 out of 10 because you have a story, you have this kind of open world feeling, and I love like all the designs of the character really help put me into that world from the bad guys to actually changing into Clark Kent and finding Lois Lane. I mean, there's so much to the game that I just find it to be really fun. And even though there's not really a point other than just trying to get a, a faster time, you definitely want to play through this a couple times, I think, and, and try to see how fast you can go. And it, it's also fun to, um, to just like put everybody in jail. I don't know. I just find that fun. And to repair the bridge is like satisfying. So I really think this game's pretty cool. Um, if it weren't for the flickering effect, I think I would enjoy it even more. But um, I quite enjoyed how cool this game is and how different it is from everything else that we've ever played. Again, I think part of that is because Adventure is coming out and that one is really the one that's going to that really shook things up internally and this kind of was just like oh that was cool i'll just steal that but uh i'm sure you know i'm sure it's more more than that but um it's hard to say that this is like the one but it, it's pretty good it's definitely a must-have and i know at the time it was received very well so a lot of people like this game not just me so i think it's quite good for relevance i went 8.75 I mean, I mean, sounds about right to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first superhero video game. That's the first big thing. First game release that had the screen wrap with different backgrounds. Definitely for home consoles. Um, so you have that first. <laughs> I mean, the gameplay is so unique. This is maybe the first console game that has a story mode. Like a literal, like you actually, there's a story of what you have to do. Yeah that's part of it so i mean there's so many firsts here that i just had to rate it very highly not only that but i mentioned it was received well at the time this actually won best video game of the year in i think 81 i think it was for games in the 80s that were released in 80 even though this released in 79 i think they messed up their own dates back then but you know people really like this game so there's a lot of really good things about it i think as much as like Atari's basketball kind of saved it last year, this might be the saving game for it this year. Cause other than this game that it hasn't really done that much this yeah. year. So man, as soon as they, as soon as we think that there's nothing left for the 2600, they just come out with the, these bangers here. So <laughs> overall I gave it a 2.75 out of 10. I mean, as much as I like it, there are issues, the screen flickering, as I mentioned, the city is extremely hard to navigate, <laughs> although if you go in the same direction, you'll eventually loop all the way around. But you wouldn't know that. I think you'd almost have to map it out like a text adventure in order to really know what's going on. Right. Um, but I think the, the whole concept of the game is just so unique that I, I just really enjoyed it. So it's good to get a fresh game in here. Definitely. Is it better than the movie, though, Wes? That's the real question. <laughs> I think it might be. You know, that's a tough question. I think we'll have to leave that to the listeners because I don't know yeah, if I can answer true. it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's great to see a game like this that, because it's pulling from such iconic source material, 
yeah. it does a great job of making new gameplay that makes sense for the character you're playing as you know it's not like that's true hey it's a superman game but really you just move superman back in the fourth and he's the pedal for breakout you know what i mean it's that's actually right. you're doing superman things and these mechanics together and the multiple different goals and objectives it's really unique i don't think we've seen anything like that before yeah yeah so uh, i hope you guys enjoyed today's superman themed episode um just a quick recap, and we talked about the movie. We talked about your meteor game, which is pronounced Daisan Wakuse Meteor. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and Space Invaders Part Two. I mean, terrible. What can I say? Sad. <laughs> Super Dungeon by Programma and uh, Superman for the Twenty Six Hundred by Atari. It was actually made by John Dunn, so I want to shout him out. Based off the prototype code for Warren Robinette's adventure, which is coming out, I think, in early 80. So I will have to get you to review that one, Wes, I think. Awesome. Well, can't wait. Looking forward to it. <laughs> but uh, with that, I mean, we've got a lot of fun stuff on the horizon. Uh, let us know what you thought about us taking a look at this movie because the game was based on it. Obviously, we're not going to be able to do that for every movie, but it's definitely something we're down to. Uh, do in the future, see what inspired some of these games so we can get a better idea of how hyped people might have been when this game came out. So let us know what you think, either on Twitter or send us an email. Uh, and as always, make sure to check out our website as well, because we've got tons of information on there about all the games we've covered so far. Yep, I've been having, adding a lot of new info there, so please go check it out. The developer section in particular, I think, has been doubled in like since couple weeks ago so nice definitely check it out um but until next time we'll see you later see y'all next time